Welcome to Staying the Course. Join us as we navigate the uncompromised Word of God with Pastor Brett Peterson. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good, good. It's warm in the sun, but that breeze feels good, doesn't it? I just love our weather here. Well, we are going through some of those tiny books of the Bible, some of those little letters, and we finished Jude, and we jumped into 2 John. 2 John only has 13 verses. And we started it two weeks ago on Mother's Day. And really, the book is addressed to the chosen lady. I, I, I just love that, you know, this little letter to the chosen lady. Last week, uh, gosh, Cheryl and I both had this head cold. It wasn't COVID. Uh, but I had to miss a couple of days of work. We were supposed to go on vacation, so we postponed that till next week, Monday through Friday. So if you need anything, please call Pastor Chris. Uh, his number is on the handout, as is mine. You can still call me, but uh, I won't be here. <laughs> so Pastor Chris taught last week, and uh, we're still trying to get the file off this computer so we can get it uploaded if you weren't here last week. Today we dive back into 2 John. So if you have your Bibles, turn, if you would, to 2 John. There's only one chapter and only 13 verses, and today we'll cover verses 5 and 6, but let's just read from verse 1 just to get the context. The elder to the chosen lady and her children. Who was the elder? Who did we figure out the elder was? John. It's John the Apostle. Remember, John, his writing style is unique. So the Gospel of John and the three epistles of John all have the same style. In fact, we found out that Matthew uses the word truth one time. Mark uses it two times. Luke uses it three times. Isn't that neat how they all kind of <laughs> did that? John uses it almost 50 times, you know, truth and love. Uh, John is known as the disciple of love. In fact, he says, I'm the disciple that Christ loved, you know, oh, which is kind of fun. The elder to the chosen lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, for the sake of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever, grace and mercy and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I was very glad to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we have received commandment to do from the Father. And here's where we pick up today, verses 5 and 6. Now I ask you, lady, not as though I were writing to you a new command, but the one which we have heard from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. And this is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. Today is going to be a simple message about love, yet it's profound. If there's one theme in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, it's love. 
John really emphasizes love and truth throughout his letters. In his first letter in 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 through 10, he wrote, Beloved, I'm not writing to you a new commandment, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have. On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the light is already shining. The one who says that he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. If there's one mark, one character trait that we should have as children of God, it's love. And not the false love of the world, but real love. So today we're going to find out what is the love that God talks about. Is it just, you know, we use love rather flippantly. You know, I, I love pizza. I love ice cream. I love my wife. I love that I can use this computer. I love a lot of things, but it really doesn't make sense. In the Greek, how many words for love are there? And don't answer because you're going to be shocked. <laughs> Most people say what? Four. Yeah, some people say five. There's actually eight words for love in the Greek. And we're going to go through those quickly in a minute. In John chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus said, A new commandment I give you that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. And this is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. This I command you, that you love one another. Do you think he's really concerned that we love each other? <laughs> Now, let me ask you a question. Have you tried to love your fellow brothers and sisters in the body of Christ just like Jesus loves you? I mean, it's hard enough to love your spouse like Christ loves you. Loving each other in that depth of love, if the church would really do that, could we not see God's hand in our midst? And yet the enemy always tries to cause dissensions and divisions in the body of Christ. To bid one sister against another or one brother against another. It, it, always there's these divisions and dissensions in the church. That's one beautiful thing about a small church. I really believe we all love each other and there's no dissensions in our midst. The central theme of all the Bible and God's greatest good is love. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we call it the love chapter, right? You know, it defines love, and we're going to read it in a minute. But at the end, it says, and now abide these three, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is faith. Oh, no, no, no. And the greatest of these is, ho no, no, the greatest of these is love. Now, that always puzzled me because how can love be greater than faith? Because faith is how we are saved. How can love be greater than faith? Because you can have all faith, he said earlier, 
so as to move mountains, but if you don't love, you're nothing. There's three ways love flows in the Bible. The first and the greatest, we just sang about it, God's love for us. I want you to know this morning that no matter how you failed God, God loves you. No matter what mistakes you've made or what awful sin you've committed, Christ paid for that sin on the cross. And God loves you more than you can fathom this morning. That's the first way love is really experienced. It's through God's love for us. Secondly, we reciprocate that love to God. And so we experience the love of God. Remember, we love because what? He first loved us. And we experience his love, and inevitably, we love him in return. And then after those two things, if that's right, we demonstrate that love to one another. We shine God's love to a lost and hurting world. And remember, love isn't simple tolerance. Oftentimes, love corrects. Love disciplines. Love stands for what's right and true and holy. Just for a quick minute, I want to take a glimpse at a moment in Christ's life. You know, he was called, even by the Sadducees and the Pharisees, rabbi. I love that they did that. Everybody knew Jesus as the teacher, even the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 22. And we'll read 34 through 40. Matthew chapter 22, starting at verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus silenced the Sadducees, remember the Sadducees were testing Christ. And every answer he gave, finally, they they were silenced. They wouldn't even dare ask him another question because he always put them in their place. So the Pharisees said, wow, he silenced the Sadducees. So they gathered themselves together, verse 35. And one of them, an attorney or a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. Teacher or rabbi, which is the great commandment of the law? And Jesus replied to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And note this, on these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. The whole Bible, according to Christ, who really wrote the Bible through 40 scribes, the whole theme is love God and love everyone else how do you demonstrate love to your neighbor how do you demonstrate love to your enemy we're going to talk about that in a bit Matthew stops there but Mark goes on to the Pharisees response and in Mark chapter 12 verse 34 b Mark said after that no one would venture to ask him any more questions so he silenced the Sadducees and the Pharisees. 
They didn't dare try to test Christ again because every answer he gave was irrefutable. They knew they were in the presence of someone great. So how can we demonstrate love? Well, you know the golden rule. In fact, almost every religion in the world, almost, has the golden rule in them. Why is that? Because God put his law in the hearts of everyone that's born and gave everybody a conscience. And even those that never hear the law, in Romans chapter 2, Paul says, if they obey instinctively their conscience, the law that God has placed in their heart, they'll be judged at the final judgment, the white throne judgment, as to how they obeyed their conscience. But the golden rule simply says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, in everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you for this is the law and the prophets if you really love you want the best for those that you love is that true so when jesus says love your enemy wow what does that mean well for me it means this i want the best for them so what do i want i want them to find jesus christ I want them to come to repentance and have the transformative work of the Holy Spirit done so they're no longer that evil, wicked person. Does that make sense? So we pray for them. God is love, and our ability to love actually comes from God. People that don't know God cannot love with the depth that a born-again Christian can. They don't know love. They don't know God. In fact, we read this in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. You see, we couldn't even experience love, true selfless love, if it wasn't for God's Spirit. By the way, this is an old song, 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Who knows the song? Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God. Who, who remembers that? Just two of us. <laughs> Do you guys know that? Oh, my goodness. Scott, you're going to have to sing it. So what is love? I, I want you to think for a moment. When you consider the love you have for God, how would you define it? When you consider the love you have for your spouse or your family or your parents, how would you define that love? I looked up many definitions of love on the internet. What did I say? <laughs> definitions of love and you know there are a lot out there mainly because for us in America I could sum it up like this it's something that pleases me so I love it that's our basic definition uh, pizza pleases me so I love it uh, a cold iced tea on a hot day with just the right amount of lemon squeezed in there. Ah, I love it. You know, what it really means is I like it. Does that make sense? 
So most people in America, it's something that pleases them so they like it. That is not the biblical definition of love. In fact, it's far from it. You probably have been told, and we already said four words for love in the Greek. Those are the main ones, stergos, eros, phileo, and agape. Those are the four. Only three of those, or only two of those are actually in the New Testament. And one of them, the word itself isn't, but the negative of the word is. And I'm going to go over that. But actually, there's eight in Greek philosophy types of love. They are eros, that's romantic, passionate love. That's the other definition of love people have in the world today. It's that erotic love, that, that, ooh, that feeling, you know, oh, I fell out of love. Well, no, what you did is fall out of lust, if that makes sense. <laughs> you know, uh, that's the first type of love. The second one is manios, and that comes from the term mania or madness, and that's obsessive, crazy love. This is not a good love. You know, that's when you have a stalker following you. That's not real love, but it is a type of love in Greek philosophy. The third is ludus. You ever hear that? Okay, ludus is that child, playful, flirtatious love. It's that kind of love that little kids have that sometimes when they're getting to the age of kind of flirting, you know, that kind of love, ludus love. The next one is pragmatos, and, and that's literally committed or arranged love. This is a love that you kind of have to love pragmatically. Does that make sense? Okay, it's not that you really feel love or you want to, but this was an arrangement that I have to love this person, you know. The next one is fellatia, and that's self-love. By the way, none of these are in the Bible. You know, I think we're kind of born with a self-love, <laughs> a self-preservation, a look-out-for-number-one mentality. And so many, you know, self-help groups, even in some churches, today we're going to talk about how to love yourself. I think we do a fine job at loving ourselves. We need to learn how to love God and love others. <laughs> Plus the three that are mentioned in Scripture Sturge is natural family love. This is a love that a mom has for her children and children have for their parents and a husband has for their children, etc. That's family love, Sturge. It's not in the Bible, but the negative of this word is. It's in Romans chapter 1, verse 18 and 2 Timothy 3, 3. In Timothy, it's talking about in the last days, people will not have natural affection. So sturge is just the natural affection people have for their family. That's how that love is defined. But it says in the last days, interestingly, interestingly enough, people will no longer have that family love. Remember the Bible says uh, in that text too, man, they'll be disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, without natural love, even for their parents, which is really unnatural not to have that love. Does that make sense? And we find that happening today. The second one is phileo, and that's brotherly or friendly love. 
In fact, that word, every time you come across it, it could be, I really like you. Does that make sense? Uh, not like agape you, and that's the third one that's in the Bible. And agape is the love that comes from God. Agape is that incredible, selfless, unconditional love or love feast. Okay. So a great example is Christ's exchange with Peter. Remember that? They had breakfast. If you have your Bibles, you can turn or I'll read it. John chapter 21, verse 15. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? Do you love me? Do you, do you love me unconditionally? With that depth of love that is overwhelming, that love feast kind of thing. And Peter responded, yes, Lord, you know I phileo you. I like you. Yeah, you're a good friend. And Jesus said to him, tend my lambs. Verse 16, and he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. I like you. Ah, oh, but he's not saying he loves him. And he said to him, shepherd my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you like me, phileo me? Jesus switched it up. And Peter was grieved because he said a third time, do you like me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all these things. You know that I phileo you, I like you. Peter would not say agape. That always puzzled me. Why didn't Peter say, I agape you? He just said, I like you. So Jesus said, I like you. Do you really like me? <laughs> and Jesus said, tend my lambs. We finished Jude a few weeks ago, and Jude refu- referred to agape love when he said this in Jude 1.12. These are the men who are hidden reefs in your love feasts. Love feasts in the Bible is when the Christians would get together. And this is really one of the only places we find it in the Bible. But externally, when people, uh, historians wrote about Christians, they talked about the love feast that the Christians would do. Most uh, scholars believe it was during communion and they would have a potluck. And they called it a love feast. And so the poor could eat along with the rich, and everyone was well-fed and satisfied and loved. That sweet koinonia fellowship, that mutual sharing. Love feast is actually the word agape repeated twice. So when the word agape is repeated twice, it's always translated love feast. I love that. Isn't that great? Okay, agape is the noun form, and agapeos is the verb form of the same thing. So they're not two types of love, and primarily in the New Testament, those are the words used for love most of the time. Agape or agapeos. That unconditional love that meets all the needs of the one being loved. Agape is pure, willful, sacrificial love that intentionally desires another's highest good. 
That's how we should love God and love one another. The most incredible definition of love we find in the love chapter of the Bible. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians 13. Starting at verse 1, and Paul wrote, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. You know, a lot of people do acts of benevolence out of either guilt or a motivation to, hey, well, I gave that person $200. Aren't I amazing? <laughs> Instead of doing it out of love, they do it to be seen by others or impure motives. And so without love, no matter how gifted you are, no matter how much you give to the poor and the needy, it is nothing in the sight of God. If you really don't have the expression of love. In the next few verses, God defines love for us, what real agape love is. And by the way, in this text, agape is always used. Starting at verse 4 of 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Love does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It's not easily provoked. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. If there's one cry to true followers of Jesus Christ, it's to demonstrate the love of God to a lost and hurting world. You know, it grieves my heart when I first went into ministry. I did a lot of marriage counseling. And it's like, wait a minute, it, you're Christians and you can't love each other? And you're married? <laughs> Where's the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Where's the love that comes from God? It grieves my heart because Christian marriages should never end in divorce, ever. It, it, it can't even be in your vocabulary, can't even be in your thought process because that, what that does is affront the love that we're to demonstrate to a lost world. It's interesting that the definition of love in 1 Corinthians 13 flows right along with the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Did you notice that? So in Galatians 5.19, oh, and the deeds of the flesh, the opposite of love. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19, it says, Now the deeds of the flesh are evident. Jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, all of this is the opposite of love. Envying, just as I forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. 
against such thing there is no law why because all the law and the prophets are fulfilled in love God with all your heart mind soul and strength love your neighbor as yourself and love one another in the church even as Christ loves you so when you define love it actually encapsulates the whole fruit of the Holy Spirit so in 1 Corinthians 13 4 love is patient one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit patience first Corinthians 13 4 love is kind one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit kindness love does not envy uh, one of the works of the flesh is being envious right the opposite of love first Corinthians 13 4 love does not brag and is not arrogant Galatians 5 19 plus the works of the flesh are selfish ambition so we find the works of the flesh are actually the very opposite of love. And we find the fruit of the Holy Spirit is really the working of love in the hearts of those who first and foremost love God. Do your friends, do your co-workers see you as a loving person? Do your neighbors see you as a loving person? If there's one quality that everyone who comes in contact with us should see, it's like that is the most loving person I've ever met. Wow, they are so kind. They should see the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So this morning the question is, how's your love life? And I'm not talking about in the worldly sense, not arrows. Come on. I'm talking about agape. How's your love for God? Do you really love Him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? How's your love for your spouse, your children, your family, your church family, your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers? Do they see God's love emanating from you? Back to our text, and we're about ready to come to a conclusion. So 2 John chapter 1, verse 6. And this is love that we walk according to his commandments. And this is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it or live your life as a lover of God first and those around you second. All the commands are summed up and love God and love everyone else. Amen? The hardest one, and we're going to get ready to end with this, is in Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48. Jesus said, You have heard that it was said to you, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love only those who love you, what reward do you have? Even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, 
What more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father in heaven is perfect. How do you do that? He just told us. Love. So love your neighbor. Who is that? We know the the parable of the Good Samaritan. And Jesus said there were Pharisees. They walked by him, but this Samaritan helped him out. And then Jesus asked the guy asking the question, so who was his neighbor? Oh, the Samaritan who helped him. So anyone we come in contact with, we have the ability to demonstrate God's love to them. We, that should be our number one pursuit in life. To love God with all we are and to love everyone that we interface with during the day. We'll end with this, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love, phileo, of the brethren, fervently love agape one another from the heart. The idea of fervently is with all your passion, with all your strength, fervently agape one another. Meet the needs of those around you. Demonstrate God's love. I know this is a simple message, but I pray that it will spark within us a a rekindled desire to demonstrate our love to God through the spiritual disciplines, to saying no to temptation, to being obedient to His Word. I pray that it would kindle in our hearts that we would find new ways to express our love for our spouse and our children and our family. That we would find ways to show God's love to our neighbors and coworkers. That people around you would know you primarily as one of the most loving people they've ever met. I think that pleases the heart of God. In fact, I know it is because God is Love. Strengthens and restores my soul, satisfies my need. Thank you for listening to Staying the Course with Pastor Brett Peterson. If you would like a copy of this message or would like to submit a prayer request or comment, contact us at 949-888-5777 or email us at info at ccbcu.edu. God bless you as you seek and serve him. Remember, stay the course, and we'll see you next week. I love your word. I love the way it comforts me.